0: Well, Proverbs 17.3 tells us that the refining pot is for silver and the furnace is for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts or tests hearts. Really, the Lord is the furnace. The Lord is the refining pot of hearts. And we all know that pressure really exposes our hearts. It reveals our character. It reveals our integrity, our commitments, our faithfulness. And the question is, what will shine through? What will flow over? What will boil to the surface uh, in the flames of trials and and tribulation, in the flames of opposition, ridicule, rejection, persecution? Uh, More and more today, uh, our society... Uh, is growing in opposition and hostility towards Christianity. Uh, Our beliefs, our views, our values is often seen uh, not merely as old-fashioned and restrictive, but actually dangerous, harmful, keeping people to be who they think they are, who they identify to be. Causing distress and uh, making people commit suicide, they say. And so opposition is increasing, hostility is rising, persecution is coming. And when that happens, what will shine through? What will be displayed in our lives? Would it be love, being patient and kind? Will it be mercy? Gentleness, goodness, will it be meekness, will it be faithfulness, will we be true to the Word of God, will be true to the convictions that we hold, to the beliefs that we confess? What will shine through, Christ or corruption? Now we are in chapter 12 of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, and so please turn there if you would please. Uh, Chapter 12 is a watershed chapter in Matthew where he records the increasing opposition to Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, as the King. And later on in that chapter, finally, the official rejection of Jesus as Messiah by the religious leaders. Um, And this morning, uh, I want to draw from our passage seven qualities of Jesus uh, that shone through when he was opposed and he was rejected. Remember last week we we saw that uh, Jesus was accused of breaking the Sabbath laws, that is the rabbinical laws that governed Sabbath observance at that time. And we made mention that there were a vast number of laws Regulations, exceptions, and clarifications that constitute really what work uh, is on a Sabbath. Um, and really, the, we saw that the observing of these laws on the Sabbath formed the crown jewel, sort of the pinnacle of Pharisaic Judaism. And it was a hard yoke for the people, it was a heavy burden of legalistic requirements that the people had to bear. And, and Jesus came just before the end of chapter 11 and He offered to people to come to Him because He will give them rest, to come to to Him because He is uh, uh, meek and humble in heart and, and uh, they should learn from Him and take His yoke upon them. Um, and of course, Jesus uh, came and He fulfilled all righteousness, he fulfilled the law and the prophets, uh, but not the rabbinical requirements, not their legalistic requirements. Jesus declared himself to be Lord of the Sabbath. That he said in Mark that man was uh, so, sorry, Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath, uh, and he showed really. Uh, the, the opposing Pharisees that the Sabbath was never meant To keep people from taking care of their needs. And he pointed to King David. And and well, Sabbath was never meant to keep people from serving God. And he he pointed to the priest. And it was never meant to keep people from showing mercy, pointing to the prophet Hosea. And so here we find ourselves now in Matthew chapter twelve, verse nine, and I'll read through to twenty-one. So please follow along as I read. Departing from there, he went into their synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. And they questioned Jesus, asking, "Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath?" So that they might accuse him. And he said to them, "A man, what man is there among you who has a sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not will he not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep?" So then, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to them, to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored to normal like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. But Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Many followed him, and he healed them all and warned them not to tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah, the prophet. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out. Nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break off. And a smoldering wick he will not put out. Until he leads justice to victory. And in his name the den will hope. And so we see here that the Pharisees were opposed to Jesus. And they sought to set him up. To accuse him. They've already really made up their minds about him and, and his message. <coughs> And they re- rejected both, and now they are just looking for some evidence so that they can convince, uh, convince others to agree with them. And Matthew records for us Jesus' response here to their opposition and hostility. And he asserted that what Jesus did, how he acted, how he reacted, showed himself to be the Messiah, to be the servant of God that by Jesus actions in the face of opposition really fulfilled old testament prophecy that he is the servant of God that he came to do the work of God in the ways of God to accomplish the will of God and so that is what this passage is teaching us that Jesus is the Christ he is the king that he is the servant king who acted not like worldly kings but was kind and gracious even when opposed. And so from this passage, I I saw or uh, drew out really seven qualities uh, of Jesus. Seven qualities uh, that we can imitate, or that we should imitate. Seven qualities that we should imitate in the face of opposition. And so before we look at the first one, let me just pray for us. Uh, Father, we we come to you, Lord, uh, humbled by your mercy, humbled by your grace. Lord, we have sung your praises because you are worthy. And Lord, you have given us your word to instruct us, Lord, to guide us, to teach us to show us your will and to show us your way. And nowhere is it better seen than in Christ Jesus, who fulfilled all righteousness, who is Emmanuel, God with us. And so, Lord, as we look at Christ our Savior, your servant, King, Lord, that we would learn from him today. And that it would encourage our hearts to worship Him, to follow Him, to serve Him. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so the first quality, really, that I want to point out is, is the mercy of Jesus. That we should imitate the mercy that Jesus displayed, that Jesus showed. We, we read here that He entered the synagogue. which was, of course, just a, uh, a place of assembly for Jewish people. When there were 10 or more families in a the city, they could uh, start or begin or build a synagogue where they would come together to pray and to, to read the Scriptures and to listen to teaching. And so in the synagogue... There was a man with a withered hand. Really, it was, he was a disabled man. The hand was diseased, was, de, was deformed, withered or dried up. Uh, so the man was incapacitated. He was, he was a disabled man. And seeing an opportunity to accuse Jesus, they asked him, Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now, they don't want an answer. Okay, They have already have an answer, and they believe the rabbinical law is the answer which said that, that if you heal someone on the Sabbath, that that would be work, and therefore that would be breaking the command to keep the Sabbath. According to rabbinical law, you are allowed to keep someone from dying on a Sabbath, but you are not allowed to make them any better on a Sabbath. Now, I don't know about you, that's a, that can be a fine line sometimes. Uh, so you were allowed to bandage a wound to keep someone from bleeding out, but it should not be a medicated bandage. That that infection prevention should wait till the next day, uh, not not on that day. And so this man with a, with a withered hand uh, really was not in a life and death situation. So there was no urgency, according to them, to heal this man. So Jesus, is it lawful to heal a man on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them by giving them this little mini parable um, about a sheep which fell into a ditch or a pit, and he asked them, what man among you will not help that poor animal? If it was your animal, if it was your sheep, would you not take it out, help it out of the pit, on the, or would you wait till the next day before doing so? And what Jesus was doing, he was pointing out to them their inconsistency in in, in their rabbinical laws. That it was okay for them to help an animal which was certainly subservient to man, yet they were not allowed to help a man who was made in the image of God on the Sabbath. But Jesus was saying more than that. He was saying and making the point that it is not only okay to heal on a Sabbath, but to do good. It is lawful to show mercy on the Sabbath. As they would show mercy to that trapped animal. The Sabbath was never meant to keep anyone from showing mercy to those who are suffering. Now, some may object and say, well, there is so much need and so much suffering out in the world that, listen, if we have to take care of that every Sunday, we will never rest on on, on the Sabbath. But that was not Jesus' point. He was not contrasting really religious duty to doing good. He was saying that he was contrasting doing nothing instead of showing mercy when the need is right in front of you. He was saying that when someone needs help on a Sabbath, one should not say, listen, I really want to help you, and I will help you, but come back tomorrow. Then then, then I will help you. Because for me, resting on the Sabbath is more important than you are is what they were, in essence, saying. It is using ceremonial duty, really by observing the Sabbath, to excuse your moral duty of showing love, showing mercy, showing kindness. For a man is more valuable than a sheep, said Jesus. And so he was just pointing out to them that their priorities were wrong. Their system of worship allowed them to favor their possessions above people to favor themselves above others but Jesus was merciful he cared for the one in need he today cares for the one in need and he showed mercy and healed this man, knowing it was a trap. Because he perceived their opposition. He knew he was being set up. Yet, he did what God required of him. And of course, the applications of that is is just, there are so many. But first of all, I just want to point out That Jesus wants to show you mercy today. And so perhaps you are here in this synagogue, this assembly of believers, and you are incapacitated, you are overwhelmed, you are hurt, you are angry because life has dealt you a cruel blow. Life has been hard and you are discontent with your lot in life. Jesus is saying to you this morning, come, come to me, and I will give you rest. I will show you mercy. Or perhaps you are here today ashamed, guilt-ridden, separated from Christ, Perhaps you are here with a withered hand of habitual sin, secret sin, that is that has withered your soul, that is, that has really dried up your spiritual life, that has eroded your peace and shriveled up your joy. Do you, Jesus, say, Come, stretch forth your hand. I will heal you, I will show you mercy. Or perhaps you are here today with a withered hand of of broken relationship or even an illicit relationship, a sinful relationship. Jesus is saying to you this morning, come to me and I will show you mercy. Stretch forth your hand in repentance and faith. Humble yourself and I will show you mercy. Mercy. I will forgive you your sin. I will restore your soul. I will give you life. You can have life in me, says Jesus. I will give you rest. We sang this morning and praise the Lord. His mercy is more stronger than darkness and new every morn. Our sins are many, but His mercy is more. And the second application for us, first of all, is, is come. The second application is for us. We who are here needs to imitate Christ and showing mercy to others. To show mercy to others even in the face of opposition. To show mercy on others when people are looking out to oppose us, to, to attack us, to, to even conspire against us. I mean, Jesus showed mercy to this man by healing him, but he also showed mercy to these Pharisees by teaching them, by correcting them, by showing them their wrong views on the Sabbath and their misplaced priorities. He was teaching them. He was correcting them. And they hated him for it. We are to show mercy to others by bringing the gospel to others. And at times, people will hate you for that. But mercy we must show because we have received mercy. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy. So we are to imitate his mercy, but also imitate His meekness. Verse 15 reads, But Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Many followed Him and He healed them all and warned them not to tell who He was. See, Jesus knew the Pharisees were conspiring to kill Him for doing good, for showing mercy. But how did He react? He withdrew from there. So often, it's actually I would invite you to to go and search out the Scriptures, just look up the word withdrew and see how often Jesus withdrew when He was opposed by those in, or when, I I remember when when John was incarcerated, Jesus withdrew. When John was executed, Jesus withdrew. Every time there's opposition, often the Lord would withdrew. He really practiced what He taught the disciples back in chapter 10 when He says, when when people reject you, then shake off the dust from your feet and withdraw from there. Uh, And He did this in this day. He withdrew from that synagogue. He did not assert Himself. He did not raise His voice. He did not argue with them. He did not put them in their place. He did not insisting that they they treat Him with respect. After all, He is the incarnate Son of God. He did not slay them with a few sharp cutting words, convincing them of his teaching. He did not grind them into submission with the sheer power of his personality, the, his popularity, his power. He did not attack them with his knowledge and his wisdom. He was meek, he withdrew. Jesus described Himself at the end of chapter 11 that He is meek and humble. And now remember we said that meekness was not weakness, but it was really strength under control. His strength placed under the control of God. God is still in control. And so His meekness is really yielding yourself All of who you are, your strength, your abilities, and place it under the direction of the Lord. Jesus yielded his will to the will of the Father. That is meekness. Meekness requires great faith, it requires great humility. Meekness is trusting that the Lord will accomplish His plans and purposes in His ways and in His times, and therefore I don't need to assert myself. I don't need to rise up and impose my will to promote myself, even and especially if it is the will and the ways of the Lord that I need to make sure others get this, but to trust the Lord, that He will work in the heart of those whom He calls. Meekness is to trust in the sovereign providence of God. His will, His way, in His time. Not my will, my way. Not His will, my way. But His way or His will, His way, resting in God, waiting for Him to bring about His plans and purposes. A great Old Testament example of that would be David, after being anointed king, was chased all over Judea by Saul, and yet never raised his hand against Saul. He trusted the providence of God, to bring about his promises to him in his time. That is meekness. And so Jesus knew they were conspiring to destroy him. And what did he do? He withdrew. God was still in control. God will still present him as king of Israel. And we saw that many followed him and he healed them all. No doubt preached to them, to them. And warned them not to tell others who He was. The plans and purposes of God will be fulfilled as God decreed they would. Exactly, precisely, and not any amount of opposition, nor even enthusiastic support would deviate from His plans. And so Jesus the king did not assert himself, did not demand attention or acceptance, but was meek. And so the question for us is, are we meek? Are you meek? Am I meek? Are we willing to wait on the Lord to bring about His plans and His purposes in His time? And it's so, it's so easy for us, really, to take, want to take matters into our own hands. We want to assert ourselves because man, we know better. We, we, we understand this. Uh, and you need to get with the program. Uh, we, therefore, we impose the whole force of our personality, the sharpness of our minds, the power of our resources, even in a good thing like advancing of the gospel, but often so that we may bask a little bit in the glory that is due to Christ. So, in the time where opposition to Christ, we are in a time of opposition to Christ, to the gospel, to Christianity, and as it increases, will you and I be meek, trusting God? that His plan and His purposes will come to fruition exactly as He determined. Remember meekness the next time you respond to a Twitter feed or a Facebook post. Remember meekness next time your neighbor or a friend make an offensive remark about your faith in Christ about the gospel, about the church. Meekness in the face of opposition will allow you the opportunity to minister to those who oppose you when God's timing is right. And Jesus was meek. He was merciful and he was meek. And Jesus could act in these ways. He could act in meekness with mercy. Because he had great assurance. He knew who he was and what his mission was. And so it brings us to verse 17 and 18. Uh, this was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. That's what Matthew is saying. Because of the way Christ acted, this, is, this proves him to be the one, to be the, the, the Messiah. Verse 18, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. When Jesus acted without fear, without intimidation. He acted in meekness and with mercy because of who he is. He had great assurance of who he was as an incarnate man, the incarnate God. He was prophesied to be the servant of God. And we've studied, I mean, Matthew applies this to Jesus, and we've studied this passage when we, when we looked at, uh, at the prophecies of Isaiah, and we, we learned throughout that book, especially the second half, that, that God planned to send one, a chosen one, who would save His people ...from their sin, but more so that His salvation would spread to the ends of the earth and include the Gentiles. And this chosen one was to restore Israel to their land. And not only that, but the very nature to, uh, to its Edenic glory of before. That he, came, he was to come and establish His kingdom, a kingdom of righteousness, of justice, and of peace. That He would be a light to the Gentiles and that nations would come to him while he is enthroned in Jerusalem to learn of his ways, to be taught his judgments, his decrees, and to subject themselves to that. Uh, Isaiah 2, Isaiah 11, Isaiah 42, 49, 50, 53, 65, the whole second half of Isaiah, really. Um, but here in Matthew uh, In our text in Matthew, he quotes Isaiah 42. Now it's not a word-for-word quotation, and it's not all coming from Isaiah 42, but 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 Matthew sort of gives us here a Holy Spirit-inspired interpretation of those passages. And the point is that he makes is that Jesus He is the servant of God, He is the one. There is not another one coming, He is it. And Jesus knew it. And that gave him great assurance to accomplish his mission, even in the face of opposition. And how did he know it? Well, God told him. Remember at his baptism, when he came out of the water... After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then later on at the Mount of Transfiguration, again, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Affirmation from heaven that Jesus is the beloved Son, the servant of God, and He's well pleasing to Him because He fulfilled all righteousness and He came to pay the penalty for sin so that the Father's justice may be upheld and His mercy may be justified. And so Jesus ministered with great confidence, great assurance in the face of opposition. Because he was God's chosen servant. He was chosen for this mission. He was beloved and approved. And people, that's who you and I are. If we are in Christ, we are now his servants, we are now sent on his mission. 1 Corinthians 4 tells us that we are but stewards, servants and stewards of the mysteries of God. 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 1920 tells us that we are ambassadors for Christ, making an appeal to the world on behalf of God to be reconciled to Him. We are disciples with a mission commissioned by the one to whom all authority has been given, Matthew 28. And so no lesser authority can ever command us to stop our mission work, our gospel work, our proclamation of Christ as King and Lord, as Savior. And that should give us immense assurance. But it will only be of assurance if we are assured of our own standing in Him. If we are assured of our salvation. If you are not assured of your own salvation. You will not be able to stand in opposition. You will crumble. You will fall. You will run. You will hide. But if you are sure of your salvation. And people, we can have Great assurance of our salvation because the security of our salvation is in God. He is the one who saved us. He is the one who chose us in Christ before the foundation of the earth to be holy and blameless, Ephesians 1.4 tells us. He is the one who redeemed us, who forgave us our sins, who adopted us as His children. He is the one who saved us by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It is a... Gift from God. Not our own works, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our inheritance. Not by our doing. He is sealing us with His Spirit. And we are assured by the same Holy Spirit that we are children of God. Romans eight seventeen tells us. And so we can have great assurance in our salvation when we have come humble ourselves before him in repentant repentance of our faith and uh, sorry of our, of our sin and, and, and faith in Christ and Him alone, then we can be sure that we are right with Him. We can be assured of His acceptance of us. So often we come to faith in Christ and, and then somehow this old master keeps shunting us around. keep And we keep listening to him. I heard a, an interesting uh, little illustration of this where uh, the speaker was saying that he went back to his old school and... and uh, was was to speak to address the pupils. They would they had the practice of getting a uh, an, uh, an ex student to come back and just address the 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 class and tell them a little bit about what the uh, what has happened in their lives. And so uh, he only finished uh, his his uni degree. So he was very much will-do-wise and, 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 and had much wisdom to impart to the students. And he said he, was, he came back. But in the meantime, he became a Christian. And he said, well, I will tell that to the students. And he was sitting on the stage with all the other teachers. And the kids were there. And he said, he looked down. And he said, they was, look so young. And uh, as they were sitting, the next moment, the headmaster said, sit up straight. And he immediately sat up straight. Uh, and... <laughs> And uh, he, he said, you know what, after a while he thought, but you know what, I don't have to listen to him. He is no longer my head master. And yet that's what we do. Christ has saved us from sin, from the, from the, the, the master that is sin. And yet every time the, masters, the old master of sin speaks, sometimes we respond, we act, we obey. But we don't have to do that because we now have a new master in Christ who have accepted us, not on the basis of who we are, but on the basis of who Christ is. That He lived a perfect life, obedient even to the point of death on the cross. And so the Father is pleased with us because His righteousness has been imputed to us, and our sin has been given to him, and he paid for it all. And so we are accepted because we are baptized into him. And we are in him, and he is now in us. And so we will have assurance, and that assurance will continue as we abide in Him. Because when we don't abide in Him, when we start listening to the old master, guess what? We somehow lack assurance that we are right with Him. But if we are assured of our salvation and assured of our acceptance, then you will be able to stand in the face of opposition. And that's true when we are assured of God's love for us. And there has been no greater display of God's love than on the cross. 1 John 4, 9 tells us, By this the love of God was manifested to us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. There can be no denying that God loves you. If you look at the cross where he chose to die in your place. And of course Romans 8 tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 38 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can be sure that He loves us. Even when things go wrong. Even when things startle us because of unexpected opposition or even persecution. And on that note, we will stand when we are assured of his goodness. Jesus knew the Father and he trusted his sovereign plan and his purposes. Even if that meant him being rejected by his own, being crucified for those who did not receive him. I see this clearly in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus prayed, Father, if there is any way, let this cup pass me by. But yet, not my will, but yours. Trusting, believing in the goodness of God. That God is able to bring about good, even from this, what seems to be evil, and was evil, the crucifixion of Christ. Christ who are sinless. But God can bring good from that. He can work all things together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purposes. And therefore, we can have confidence. We can be assured that even in trials, we know that the trials, the Lord, the crucible that the Lord may put us in, that we can count it all joy because the testing of our faith produces endurance. And endurance will have its perfect result so that we may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing, James tells us. And Romans 5, 3 tells us, and not only this, we exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character and proven character, hope, and hope will not disappoint us because the love of God has been poured into our hearts through uh, through, through the Spirit who was given us. And so when we are servants of God, Slaves of Christ, and we are assured of our salvation, we are assured of of His acceptance, we are assured of His love and His goodness, then we will be able to show mercy and be meek in the face of opposition, as Christ was. And so let us imitate His mercy, let us imitate His meekness, and let us have His assurance which God offers to us in Him. And we can imitate His Spirit-filled ministry. We can imitate Christ who was Spirit-led, probably the only man ever to walk this earth that was totally submitted to the Spirit of God. He was empowered by the Spirit in His mission. We read that He as we said before, that he was baptized, and at the baptism, the Spirit of God came upon him, marking really the start of his public ministry. And then he went and he went into the synagogue, and, and the first words that we know him preach was from Luke 4:18, when he says, "The spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor." He sent me to proclaim release to captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable uh, year of the Lord. His preaching, His healing, His miracles were empowered by the Spirit of God. That also meant that He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, to be tested. And yet He proved Himself to be faithful to the Lord. And people, unless we are Spirit-filled, Spirit-led, we will not stand in the face of opposition. We are never commanded to be sealed by the Spirit, never commanded to be indwelled by the Spirit, never commanded really to be baptized by the Spirit. Those are all wonderful things which God does to us. When we come in repentant and faith. But we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Ongoingly, continually. And we are commanded to let the Word of Christ richly dwell within us. And we are commanded to walk by the Spirit so that we would not fulfill the desires of of the flesh. Galatians 5:16 reads, "But I say to you, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, and this is how we will react." When we are not spirit-led, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kind, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and with its passions and desires. And so we, like Christ, need to have a Spirit-filled life a Spirit-led life, a Spirit-filled ministry. Because then and then alone we will respond with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness in the face of opposition. Another quality of Christ that we need to imitate is His faithfulness. He shall proclaim justice to the nations. Jesus was faithful in proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, right from the start. We know that Jesus spent most of his time in Israel and was preaching mainly to the Jews, but he was also preaching to the Gentiles. We read of, of, um, of the, uh, the Gentile centurion who came, the one who asked for his slave boy to be healed, And Jesus exclaimed that he has not seen as much faith in Israel than as much as this man had. Jesus revealed his messianic identity to the Samaritan woman at the well. Again, a Gentile. Jesus had uh, people coming to hear him from Udumia, from places across the Jordan, from Tyre, from Sidon, as we've heard, pagan cities on the Mediterranean coast. And so Jesus was proclaiming the judgments of God. And, and, and going back, the, the word here, justice, really needs to be understood as the judgments of God. His decrees, His word, basically. His word that, that is truth, the words that come with authority and, and words of salvation. Uh, that this is what God said. And that was meant for the Gentiles as well as for the Jews. And of course, in those days, if you were to go to the Gentiles, the Jews would have totally rejected you because they saw the Gentiles as dogs, as evil, as vile people. But in spite of that, in spite of that risk, Jesus still received this leper, spent time with this Samaritan woman really received all those who came to him from Gentile places around Israel. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope, we read in verse 21. And of course, we we know that since Christ's crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension, And then, of course, Pentecost, the pouring out of His Spirit, that the preaching of His message was entrusted to disciples. Disciples that went to all the nations. And we are the recipients of that. That's why we are here. And therefore, now we are in turn disciples. We have been given a mission. We have been given a task. And that is to proclaim His message, His words, His judgments, to the world, to the nations, to the Gentiles, to the Jew first, but also to the Gentiles, Romans tells us. Because we have been saved, remember Ephesians 2 8, verse 10 says, says We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus, what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Proclaiming the gospel is one of those good works. That he has saved us specifically to fulfill. And so, are we faithful to that command? Are we faithful? Are we good stewards of the mysteries of God? 1 Corinthians 4 2 tells us it is necessary for, for a servant to be found trustworthy. Are you and I trustworthy with the gospel? What have we done with the gospel? Have we been faithfully sharing it, preaching it, or have we been hoarding it in our own heart? Jesus was faithful in his ministry to proclaim the gospel to show mercy by proclaiming the gospel. Are you and I faithful in the same way? And people, if we are not faithful in preaching the gospel, when the days are easy, and there is little to no opposition or persecution, then what will we do when opposition arises, when it becomes more, when persecution increases and they threaten to, and plot against us for preaching Christ and the gospel and the word of God. Will you then be faithful? Well, We all know the answer to that. If we are not faithful now, we will not be faithful then. Which means we are not faithful. And so Christ was faithful. Let us imitate him and be faithful by giving out the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, sharing the gospel, preaching the gospel, so that others may hear and receive mercy from God. Two more to go. The humility of of Jesus, we need to imitate the humility. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. The servant of God was prophesied not to be argumentative. He would not be engaged in shouting matches. He would not rant and rave. He would not make a spectacle to draw people or raise his voice in the streets. He would not be like the old town criers with a bell saying, now hear this, now hear this, making a, a spectacle of himself. He would not raise his voice in frustration or exasperation. He was not domineering or demanding to take center stage, demanding to be heard. To be received, to be listened to. He was not brash, nor loud, nor self-seeking, nor self-promoting. But he came quietly, gently, humbly, without pomp and ceremony, without flair and funfair, but lowly, self-abasing. We know that humility is highly prized by God. Because he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And it's, it's so easy for us to quarrel. It's so easy for us to seek to win the argument. To show our view as superior. Especially on topics as important of salvation and truth, the gospel and the scriptures. And so it's so easy for us to become defensive when someone disagrees with us. To oppose those who oppose us or, or make untrue statements about us or represent our views, that gets us all worked up and ready to respond with aggression and quarrel. But He will not quarrel nor cry out. Nor will anyone hear His voice in the streets. That was prophesied. And Christ did not quarrel. He did not raise his voice. Of course, Timothy was instructed by Paul that a slave of Christ, a bondservant of the Lord, must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps... God may grant them repentance that leads them to the knowledge of the truth. And Peter instructed his readers who were under persecution that they should sanctify the Lord Jesus in their hearts, always being ready to give a defense to anyone who asks for the reason or to give an account for the hope that is within them. But how? With gentleness and reverence, in humility. Jesus was humble. He said so himself. And so let us imitate his humility as we engage with a world that is increasingly hostile and opposing to the gospel. And finally, let us imitate Jesus in his gentleness. A battered reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not put out until. He leads justice to, to victory. Even a cursory read or read through the gospels reveals the gentleness of Jesus. He, he really cared for people. He was gentle. He, in dealing with them, he had great compassion. Especially with those who could be described as a battered reed or one who is a smoldering wick. Jesus never dismissed people. He never overlooked people, especially the faint and fading, the weak and the fragile, the despairing and the hopeless. He was gentle with them. The leper, an outcast in society, he touched and healed them. The woman who suffered from hemorrhage was again... An outcast in the society. But he healed her and he gently affirmed her before everybody in that crowd. The demoniacs he delivered from their captivity. Those who were weak in faith he sought to strengthen. Many of his disciples had great need of that. But in particular the man, the father who had a demon-possessed boy was brought to him and his, to his disciples to cast out the boy and they could not do it. And then he in, in exasperation asked, Lord, if you can do something, help me. And the Lord said to him, if you can, all things are possible for those who believe. To which the man exclaimed, I do believe, help my unbelief. And of course, Jesus healed the boy and strengthened the faith of that father. He did not dismiss him. He did not overlook him because he was unsure. But he was gentle with the broken, with the weak, with those who were considered worthless and useless in the eyes of others. A battered reed he will not break and a smoldering weak he will not snuff out. Again, the question comes back to us. What about us? But before I look at us, I want to ask you. There may be here someone today who is battered and bruised by life. Jesus said, come to me. I will not break you. I will heal you. I will help you. I will restore you. Someone here whose faith may be weak, perhaps just clinging on. So much have happened. I have prayed and I have prayed and there has been no healing. I have prayed and I have prayed and there has been no salvation. I have prayed and I have prayed and she still died. He still left. The children still made Bad decisions, bad choices. My business still went under. I still lost my job. And Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. I will not break you. I will help you. I will heal you. Or perhaps you have confessed Christ in your life, and but... The events of life have all but doused out your faith, your hope. And you can know today that a smoldering wick, he will not snuff out. Even if there's just a tiny little puff of smoke still left of your faith, come to him. He will fan that into a flame. He will help you. May we be as gentle as Jesus with those who are unsure, whose faith is weak, whose whose life is hard and has battered and bruised them, and they are ready to give up. Let us not kick them when they're down, but get down on our knees next to them and help them up in Christ. Let us be gentle. As Jesus was. And so this passage provides us seven wonderful qualities of Christ, the servant king, for us to imitate. And especially at times of opposition. His mercy, his meekness, his assurance, his spirit-filled life and ministry, his faithfulness, his humility, his gentleness. We have an awesome Savior. Let us become more like Him each day, I pray. Let me pray. Father, thank You that You have displayed Christ to us in such a marvelous way that we can know our Savior to be merciful and meek, gentle, Lord, humble, spirit-filled, Lord, faithful. Well, thank you for Jesus Christ. And thank you, Lord, that through your Spirit you enable us to have that great assurance that we are His. And I pray, Lord, for those today here who are in need of mercy, who are broken and battered and bruised, who are clinging on for dear life to the faith that they have in you. Lord, that you would minister to them through your spirit right now. Bless us, Lord. Give us the desire. Open our eyes that we may see the life that we have in Christ Jesus. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen. Amen. If there's anyone who has need of prayer or just to talk about some of the things that we've mentioned, just come and see me or Peter or talk to someone that you're comfortable with and let us pray together and come to the Lord together thank you